any utility sitting back and saying, I don't have to review the skills mix on a regular basis and, and make sure I get the right skills, is on a path to failure. Welcome to the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, where we discuss the trends shaping our electric future. Here's your host, EEI Vice President for International Programs, Lawrence Jones. Hello and welcome to this next edition of the Edison Electric Institute Global Circuit Podcast. My name is Lawrence Jones, Vice President of International Programs, and today we are delighted to have as our guest, Mr. Basil Scarcella, CEO of UK Power Networks. Basil, welcome to EEI. Hi, Lawrence. It's good to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, Basil, we'd like to start by asking you to tell us about UK Power Networks, what it is today, and also, can you tell us about the journey of the company to get to where it is today? Yeah, firstly, a brief introduction on UK Powerworks. UK Powerworks is the electricity distributor in London, the east of England, and the southeast of England. We deliver electricity to about 20 million people. 8.2 8.2 million households and businesses in our, in our region. We have about 6,000 employees and we've owned, we, the, the business is owned by the Chong Kong Group, which is based in Hong Kong. Uh, and we, the, the group has owned uh, UK Pounder Works now for 10, 10 years in 2000, late 2010. And uh, uh, we, we are really proud of the progress that we've made at UK Power Networks in terms of performance improvement ranging from the safety of our employees and the commitment and the engagement of our employees combined with importantly with the services we deliver to our 20 million customers. Thanks. So I know that since 2020, the world has been dealing with COVID-19 pandemic, and it continues to have an impact across the world, from deaths to human suffering, the impact on economies around the world, and a whole range of other negative implications of COVID-19. And so how did UK Power Network weather the storm that that was caused by COVID-19, both in terms of, say, your employee health and safety, serving your customers, and, and even meeting the expectations of your, your of society and your and your owners? How did you deal with it? Yeah, Lawrence, <laughs> it's a very interesting question during this, obviously, the pandemic over the last uh, 12 months. And, and the best way to describe it is start with the vision we have had in place in UK Power Networks for the last 10 years. And the, the vision, the business vision has three planks. One, uh, we aim to be an employer of choice. Two, we aim to be a respected and trusted corporate citizen, and three, sustainably uh, cost-efficient. So basically, we focus, as I mentioned earlier, on improving, uh, continuous improvement of employee commitment. And when I reflect uh, on what's happened in the last 12 months, if there was even any doubt on the, the, the value of having a committed workforce, uh, it was dispelled over the last 12 months because we had a situation here, as the rest of the world has had, where suddenly we were plunged into a lockdown, uh, employees working from home. The Prime Minister here in the UK wrote to every household in the UK saying, please, please stay home. 
that three days later, I wrote to 4,000 of our 6,000 employees and said, please, please come to work because the reality is these are field-based employees and we need to keep the light, lights on. And uh, to to my uh, great uh, satisfaction in some ways and gratitude, every employee turned up and, uh, and you know, credit to them because they did keep that, the lights on. And as a result, the service we were able to provide to the to employee, uh, to not to employees, to customers, mm-hmm. given the fact that a large part of the population was working from home and therefore reliability was more important than ever, uh, was excellent. And the, the bottom line during the pandemic, our operational performance uh, was better than it's ever been. And now, you know, I'm happy to say we rank amongst the best performing uh, in terms of customer service and reliability in the UK, as well as uh, one of the, we, we rank in the top 10 best large companies in the UK to work for. And that's reflected based on employee feedback. So in short, uh, look after the employees because in an hour, in an hour of need, Uh, their goodwill is paramount to ensure that we provide great customer service. So I think, you know, that brings me to this issue of key lessons learned. I mean, we've had a lot of of organizations dealing with COVID-19 responding to it. And so from your perspective, what was one of the most valuable lessons you've learned from dealing with this pandemic and how can it be used in preparing for future pandemics or even (laughs) other extreme events? Yeah, and we all in our businesses spent a lot of time on business continuity planning, and I'm sure we've all gone through when when we, in the past at least, when we've talked about a pandemic, we go through a desktop exercise and you think deep down, you think it's never going to happen. Well, the message clearly never believe that you've done too much planning. Planning is never enough and uh, uh, running through scenarios of possible uh, that circumstances that can happen is vital. And the second bit, and I touched on to your earlier question, uh, never in, underestimate the value of the goodwill of, uh, of the employees. Yeah, so in 2020, in addition to the pandemic, which was obviously horrendous, We also saw a surge in proclamations from governments around the world as it relates to uh, pledging to meet net zero targets, uh, say, by 2050. And in fact, your country, the UK, was one of the first in the world to make such a pledge. Uh, So what will achieving this target mean for UK Power Network? And how will the company work to help facilitate that revolution, more or less? Yeah, clearly UK Power Networks in our mind has got dual roles. Firstly, as an organisation, how do we achieve net zero? You know, we have 3,000 petrol and diesel vehicles. How do we convert them to to electric vehicles? Uh, How do we reduce the use? How do we transition to green energy rather than the traditional energy uh, that we've been using and therefore as an organization we have a challenge how do we reduce electric losses from power lines etc so as an organization which is a challenge in itself the bigger challenge however is how do we enable the economy 
to transition to net zero because, as I said earlier, we're an electricity distributor. We own and operate the electricity network, if you like, the poles and wires, the substation, the electricity infrastructure that we see uh, in our environment. And we need to, the, the challenge for us is to make sure that as we the economy transitions uh, to net zero through transport, uh, through heat, and in, in our case in the UK, uh, heating is largely from natural gas. And therefore, in order to achieve net zero, that needs to transition to either electricity or hydrogen. So in our case, the challenge is to make sure that our electricity network is fit for purpose to cater for the increased electricity demand that we expect uh, as more and more vehicles transition to, to electric and heat also transitions to to uh, to electricity and importantly uh, a lot of uh, distributed energy resources renewables are connected to our network as we transition from a central to a uh, a decentralized system so you talk about your customers and i recall when i visited uk power network the first time about 5 years ago you and I had this conversation about your strategy, which was about focusing on your customers and your employees. Uh, given where we are today, um, what do your customers and employees think about UK Power Network? <laughs> I could answer that, that quickly by saying you need to go and ask them because <laughs> why would you believe me? I'm the CEO after all. I'm, I'm biased. But, but interestingly, we actually do exactly that. We ask our employees and we ask our customers, and we do significant stakeholder engagement across our our territory, where we we try we're trying to to predict in some ways how customer expectations uh, change, and we then aim to to review the processes in our business to make sure that we deliver on those customers' expectations. The bottom line of it all is when you ask both employees and customers, independently, not done by us, we run an employee survey uh, every year to get the feedback from employees of what he said that we can improve. And as I said earlier, I'm happy to say that the feedback from the employees says that we rank in the top 10 large, best large companies to work for in the UK. We do a similar exercise. In fact, the regulator here uh, does a similar exercise for our customers. Customers here, any any customer that has a need to contact us uh, for either, either whether the power interruption, whether it's a connection, whether it's any work that we need to do, the Regulator then surveys those customers, and and amongst a lot of questions, the critical question is, you've dealt with UK Power Networks on a scale of one to ten, one being terrible, ten being excellent. How was your experience with your UK Power Networks? And I'm delighted to say that at the average is 92%. So 92% of our customers are telling us that that they are satisfied. Uh, a score of 9.2 out of 10 uh, with a service that they've received from UK Power Network. So I could have said, go and ask our employees and our customers <laughs> what they think. In fact, we do, and the feedback is pretty positive. So another important part of your strategy, Basil, 
uh, is innovation. And we've talked about that as well. Uh, UK Power Network has won numerous awards for innovation, including the prestigious uh, Edison Award for Innovation. So what is the key to success for the culture of innovation you seem to have made as part of the company's DNA? Yeah, firstly, Lawrence, yeah, we were delighted to, to have received the Edison Award for, for innovation. Importantly, uh, we one of the important reasons for for the organization UK Panetworks focusing on innovation, we operate in the UK under an incentive-based regulation. And what that says in 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 short, we are allowed a level of expenditure. And if we can deliver the, the, the desired outputs at a lower spend, we share the benefits between ourselves and the customers. And that's an important initiative from Ofgem, the regulator, to encourage innovation. So you've got the right framework and then the challenge for us, uh, as I say, and I come back to the employee engagement, we, we create, we aim at least, there's always room for improvement, the environment for employees uh, to in, propose and engage in innovation. And we know that if you innovate, if you do R&D, some things are not going to work. Uh, in the way you envisage, but we allow for that level of, in inverted commas, failures, because we know that the benefits of su- success from innovation as delivered, as outweighed by a, a significant amount, the, the failures we've had. So, uh, one, the regulatory environment for innovation is there, uh, and two, we create the right environment with the UK Panetwork. Uh, that's good. So let's get a little global in, in this conversation. And I want to talk about two of the factors that are shaping the global energy transition. One, the increasing use of uh, distributed energy resources. And, and two, the expected growth in electric vehicles. Uh, of course, in the UK, your government has taken uh, has made some very bold uh, pronouncements as it relates to EVs. So what challenges and opportunities do these factors present for UK Power Network? And, and how are you preparing for them, yeah, we we as you correctly point out that the UK government here was the first government globally to commit to achieving net zero by 2050, and uh, we we're delighted, obviously, that the US is back on board with the with, on the the Paris Agreement. And you talk about uh, the 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 opportunities first. I mean, for an electricity distributor. Uh, and with a prediction that transport and heat uh, is going to be decarbonized and transition to electricity, that means there's increased demand and the, for electricity, and therefore the value of the network uh, uh, is going to increase. The, the The challenge is obviously, as I said earlier, to deliver a fit-for-purpose uh electricity network that enables the consumers, customers, complete choice as to when do they recharge their vehicle and be able to use electricity as they wish and not have any restriction. For us, the biggest challenge and the biggest risk is that we are seen as a uh, stumbling block to the economy transition to, to net zero, and that clearly is not going to be good for the organisation 
and it certainly wouldn't be good for the CEO of that organization that creates uh, uh, the, the obstacle. Well, you, you mentioned regulators. So I, I've been intrigued by the interrelationships that seem to be necessary for electric companies, customers, regulators, investors, policymakers. They all have to find a way of, of, of finding this interrelationship for this energy transition to work, but it, for it to work in a way that is just. And I know that's something you uh, you've you've sort of a focus on you know equity and making sure that things are fair. Uh, so more globally, uh, what can policymakers and regulators do to create uh, the enabling conditions for electric companies to help facilitate that this transition is just and equitable? What do you think they should be doing? What are some of the ideas you have that they should be considering? Yeah, Lawrence. I mean, the best example we have, I think, is look back just over four years when the US decided to pull out of the Paris Agreement. I think what is vital globally is for all countries to actually eventually commit to net zero by 2050 and then work together to achieve it. Because, you know, if we needed an example that we should learn from, the last four years, I think, with the US not quite being at the same place as some of the other major countries when it came to to achieving net zero and climate change, I think that's something we should avoid. And certainly all the major economies globally, and that's why uh, uh, COP26 creates a great opportunity uh, for the UK and for that matter, the world to actually come together, agree to targets that are measurable and and the commitment is there globally because as soon as some of the major countries deviate from that, then we, we will continue to have problems. So, but I'm confident, and, and and you know, like I said, I see that the new U.S. administration is it seems to me, and you will know about this a lot more than than I do. Seems to co- committed to come back in the global scene and and be one of the leaders again to achieving uh, sort of net zero by 2050, and that's is very positive to me. Mm-hmm. I think you make a very good point there: the measurability of targets, but also the the implementation of the pathways to get to those targets are extremely important. Um, so I want to talk about perhaps you mentioned workforce at the beginning of this conversation. And over the years, we've had conversations about the need to prepare the workforce for the future. You've talked about fit for purpose. And so I'd like to talk about how do we get the workforce fit for purpose? And so in that context, uh, what is UK Power Network doing to ensure that is workforce, it's fit for purpose going forward. Uh, we have issues like extreme weather, we have grid resilience, we have cybersecurity. So how do we, how do you prepare one? And then two, related to that is how do you attract young people to this industry today? Is it more easy, is it easier today compared to 10, 20, 30 years ago? What are your thoughts on on one, the workforce being fit for purpose? And then two, how do you attract young people to the sector in general? Yeah, Lawrence, let me answer the second question. How do you attract young people to to the utility sector? And you've gone back uh, 10, 20, 30. I can go back 40 years in in utilities, right? And and what I see today, and we come back to the opportunities and, and 
the transition into the changes that are taking place in the electricity industry. What I see today is the the communities fully committed, I think, that, that to, to achieving net zero. And then you've got utilities, especially electricity utilities, being central to that transition. And it seems to me that is the opportunity as utilities that we need to grasp and make sure that tertiary institutions and schools, etc., understand the what's happening to electricity to the electricity industry and what great opportunity uh, that will create for young people leaving it's like say school whether it be schools and coming in as apprentices or having finished their tertiary educations and coming in uh, as graduates so that that I think is a great opportunity that we should be careful not to 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 miss uh, to, uh, and not capitalize on then the second part of your your or the first part of your question was how you know the skills how do you retain the skills for the future it's interesting because when we look at our workforce that there's like i said it's six thousand strong four thousand have joined us in the last 10 years so it, people very often talk about an ageing workforce, uh, but the reality is a bit different to that. But but so so one, we're attracting the the, the younger uh, generation to to our organisation, which is positive. The second is making sure again, it's a bit like uh, you asked earlier on about customer expectations. It's predicting how skills are going to change, skill requirements are going to change in the future and making sure that we, whether, again, through apprentices or, or graduates, we recruit the right people, uh, you know, data analytics, for example, cyber, you talked about, all of those things uh, uh, were not meant innovation. You, they weren't mentioned 20, 30 years ago in utilities. They are now. And therefore, uh, any utility sitting back and saying, um, I don't have to review the skills mix on a regular basis and, and make sure I get the right skills, uh, is on a path to failure. So it's, it's vital in a changing environment that you make sure that you, your skills uh, are the right ones. Well, before we get to the last question, you mentioned education. And I just want to ask you, as a global industry, the word, the phrase, if you may, net zero is being used all over the place. You get it. I get it. Do you think we need to find another way to talk about that behind the word net zero for the average consumer to understand? Because I fear that educating the public about net zero is not being done. We say yeah. it. Experts say it. What, is there a better way to talk about net zero so that the average person will understand what the heck are these guys talking about? What's net yeah. zero? Uh, and, and Lawrence, that is the one of the biggest challenges I think we have as a utilities, uh, as an electricity sector, because the message it seems to me is, look, the transition to net zero is going to cost some money. Your electricity bill is going to go up. But understand the cost of not transitioning to net zero is would have been higher 
And that is a difficult message to get across because, and I think we need to, as an industry, we need to be prepared for that because the focus will be the electricity bill has gone up. But how do we get in a simple message? Yes, your electricity bill has gone up by £100 or $100 for the sake of the example, but your petrol bill has gone down by 80 and your gas bill by 50. So you're actually 30 pounds or dollars in front to where you would have been and, and try and avoid that the focus is just on electricity. Therefore, how we message that, it, it needs to be simple and needs to be understood by the wider community. And that I don't think we've succeeded just yet. Well, I'm going to try a little experiment over the next couple of days. I'm going to start using the phrase net zero with my kids and see if they understand what I'm talking about and see if it makes sense to them. Because I remember a couple of years ago when I was doing my doctorate, I did a PhD thesis on net on zero dynamics. And I remember someone telling me, <laughs> how can you have zero and dynamics? And I said, well, and I had to explain it. I think we're going to have the same issue here because if you tell someone net zero, they're like, why am I paying from something if it's net zero? Net zero means zero, right? So so we need to perhaps find a different way to talk about this idea of net zero. And I, I agree with you, right? Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure that we're there. I mean, I've focused on cost, but clearly net zero is uh, uh, carbon emission we're talking about. But I'm not sure that that's a – I think that the general public understand that we need to reduce CO2 emission. Mm -hmm. right? understand that. But then uh, what does that mean to me as a customer? Yes. I think it's a more difficult message to get across. Well, this is a very perfect place to end this interview because I have my last question. Um, and you've worked uh, and actively participated in shaping the evolution of the industry in the UK, I would say, and, and even in Australia. Uh, you've been at the front seat in a lot of discussions uh, in other countries, Hong Kong, where where your uh, parent company is headquartered, but also in New Zealand, you've you know uh, participated in events around the world. Uh, so as you look to the U to 2050, uh, when the UK and many countries have set the expectation to reach the net zero goals, what concerns you and what excites you about the road ahead? Yeah, Lawrence. Firstly, what you've told me is that I'm getting old, right? That <laughs> but <laughs> what what concerns me, and we touched on that earlier on, is division globally. You know, countries deciding to go their own way, uh, and and whether it be countries or communities or families, we all know that division uh, never delivers uh, what 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 you're aiming to deliver. What excites me, and the excitement, I think, of being involved far, far outweighs my concerns, is that I think we can be part, at least, of a change that will be talked about for generation. And uh, to be saying, you know, that uh, the, the executives, but the generation of the sort of early 2000, that started this transition to net zero and in 2050, the world is a better place uh, to be living in. I think that, that, in a nutshell, should excite, it certainly excites me and should excite everybody that, that is involved. Mm -hmm. And that means the whole world, that community, because we're all involved. Without the support 
of the whole community, we're going to struggle to get to net zero. But like I say, uh, achieving net zero, we will create a much better world to be living in. Yeah, and, and I think uh, you know you mentioned you mentioned the future, and and it's ironic that electricity was the sort of the engine that or the fuel that drove the engine of industrialization. Yes, and electricity is going to be the fuel that would drive sort of a decarbonization or net zero in sort of a, just one of those very string uh, confluence of events. Uh, before I wrapped up, uh, Basil, one last question, and and this is more or less. You're a very busy man working around the clock, trying to keep the lights on in London and the rest of the UK where you have business. What do you do for leisure? I mean, how do you how do you relax? How do you find downtime to to build back better yourself after all this hard work you do? Yeah, Lawrence. I mean, I think uh, uh, firstly uh, we've got ten grandkids, so it's, we're never short of. Uh, uh, of keeping busy. And secondly, <laughs> I'm a bit of a sport fanatic. So uh, football, um, soccer, as the, the Americans call it, as in fact the Australians call it, and we do a bit of travelling. Uh, as you know, I'm an Australian, so going back to Australia on a regular basis. Uh, um, so there's enough to do uh, without uh, getting bored. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Basil, for joining us. I wish you a wonderful rest of the week and all the best and hope to see you soon. Thanks, Lawrence. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, an EEI International Programs podcast. For more episodes, subscribe to the Electric Perspectives podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit eei.org international. Thank you.